0: Where does Jesus get off driving out unclean spirits? Where does Jesus get off casting out the money changers from the temple? Where does Jesus get off telling his followers to go out into the world and cast out demons? Who gave him the authority? Who does he think he is? How presumptuous. Where did Jesus get such a ridiculous idea? I blame it on the Greek verb ekbalo, a word that means to cast out and to drive out. The same verb is used to describe Jesus' activity of casting out demons and driving out the money changers. It's where we get the word exorcism, and for some reason, the authors of the Gospels chose to use the same verb for the demons and the money changers. I guess they thought both needed to be exercised. But where did Jesus get the idea that he should engage in these kinds of activities? Well, maybe he got the idea during his own exorcism, when the Spirit of God literally drove him out into the wilderness. That's right, the same verb appears in Mark 1, Ekbalo, and it is used to describe what the Spirit did to Jesus, a scandalous notion of casting him out, driving him out, which is why Matthew and Luke in their gospel changed the versions from drive out to say that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, a less aggressive and less blasphemous image. But in Mark, the earliest and most original gospel, it claims immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit cast him out, drove him out into the desert. There is something unsettling here about the Spirit's activity. It does not seem as if Jesus had a choice in the matter at hand. In fact, it sounds as if he was driven into the desert by force or compelled out like a common demon, unclean spirit, or money changer. What does it mean that Jesus was cast out into the desert? Was Jesus in need of exorcism? Would he have not gone willingly without the spirit nudging? What was the Spirit doing in this story? Perhaps we should also ask, what would Jesus have missed out on had he not been forced to go into the wilderness? What would we miss? Today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, but this year the invitation to journey with Jesus into the desert feels unnecessary. Maybe even excessive because we've already been in the wilderness for a year and some of us for even longer than that. We've been in the desert at least since the last Lenten season when we were cast out of the sanctuary and driven out of our church by a virus that was sweeping through our nation. If only it had just been 40 days, but no, we've been in Lent so much longer than that. We've been in Lent for a year. So when the Spirit came to us this week, trying to drive us out into the desert of Lent again, many of us said, get behind me, Spirit. What are you trying to do? We're already in Lent. We've already been here. We've been fasting and praying for over a year. We've been tested and tried and tempted already. We've been here long enough. We don't want to be here in the desert anymore. We're ready for something new. Compared to our experience in this pandemic, Jesus' 40-day journey in the desert seems like a picnic. The disruptions we've experienced, the sacrifices we've been forced to make, the losses we've suffered in our wilderness have been colossal and overwhelming. As a church and as a nation, it has felt more like 40 years than 40 days. More like what the people of Israel experienced when they wandered through the desert. Remember, they had shortages of food and water, extreme weather, sickness and disease, inadequate housing, and no sanctuary in which to worship. There was constant complaining by the people, and exhausted leaders who often wanted to die. They had hostility and violence between different tribes and experienced a political and legal crisis all while in the wilderness. And yet, even in the midst of their trials and tribulations, the Spirit of God Was with them. Has the Spirit not also been with us? Has the Spirit not also been with you? What has the Spirit been doing to you or in you during this long wilderness? Sometimes the Spirit is like a mighty wind that blows in and stirs up everything. Sometimes the spirit is like a fire that burns away the chaff or simmers in our bones or blazes new trails or reignites old passions. Sometimes the spirit is like a still small voice or the sound of sheer silence. And sometimes the spirit is like a tongue that speaks new languages or sings new songs. Sometimes the spirit is like a peace that welcomes the stranger and unites people across ethnic differences. Sometimes the Spirit is like an anointing to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Sometimes the Spirit is like a bird that hovers over the waters of chaos and overwhelms us with new creation and new birth and new life and new beginnings. And yes... Sometimes the spirit is like a force that drives us out into the wilderness to examine our shadows and face our demons. The father of Greek philosophy, Socrates, was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for failing to acknowledge the gods of Athens, introducing new deities, and corrupting the youth of the city. During his trial, Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And it was in this same spirit that the mothers and fathers of the early church were compelled by the spirit out into the desert themselves. When Emperor Constantine converted and the church merged with Rome in the 3rd century, Christianity was transformed from a way of life and love into an empire religion. And so many faithful followers of Jesus left those cities and towns of the empire and went out into the desert. These first monastics, who became known as the Amas and Abbas, said they went out into the desert not only because Christianity had become completely corrupted in their mind, but also because they couldn't hear God anymore. They couldn't hear their own hearts or feel their own souls. It was as if the Spirit drove them out into the desert so that they could relearn how to hear and see and feel and find God so that they could rediscover themselves once more. The wild thing is that the monastic mothers and fathers were not only personally revived and renewed, but the church itself, Christianity itself, was reborn out there in the desert. We don't always like the wilderness, but as an old African spiritual goes, if you want to find Jesus... Go to the wilderness, and if you're mourning, brother, if you're mourning, sister, go out into the wilderness and wait upon the Lord. So we go this year into this wilderness within a wilderness within a wilderness, this Lent of 2021. Is the desert, though? Just a desolate and lifeless place? Or is there life in the desert? Is it a hopeless place? Or is possibility there? Are there things that grow and thrive in harsh conditions? Is there any life that flourishes in the wilderness? Well... In the deserts of Palestine, where Jesus likely spent his 40 days, there's a wildflower that grows called the red crown anemone. They are one of the first flowers that bloom in the winter, and they reach their peak at this time of the year during January and February when they cover the plains of the northern Negev desert with a brilliant bright red cloak. Pollinated by beetles and the wind, these stunning wildflowers bloom in other colors too, like white and pink, lilac and dark velvet. In the 50s, schoolchildren in Israel were taught not to pick them, which led to a nationwide restriction that has preserved these flowers from extinction. Many people in Israel today still treat the wild red crown anemone as the national flower. When we picture Jesus in the wilderness, do we envision him in a desolate land, or can we see him in the Negev desert, surrounded on all sides by a vast array of red wildflowers? There are things that flourish even in the desert. What might Jesus have learned from the red crown anemone? Maybe he learned how to grow even in the harshest conditions. Maybe he discovered how to survive without fear or anxiety. Maybe they taught him about God's love and provision for all created things. Maybe they taught him how to be mindful and live in the present and not, not to worry so much. Maybe it was the red crown, anemone, who inspired Jesus' famous teaching. Consider the flowers of the field, he said, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will God not clothe you even more? So do not worry, saying, What will we eat or drink or wear? For it is the nations who strive for these things, and God knows you need them. But strive first for the kingdom of God and God's justice, and all these things will be given to you as well. Flowers are not the only life that flourishes in the desert. Mark is the only gospel writer who tells us that while Jesus was in the desert being tested by Satan, he was not alone. The wild beasts were there with him. Some translations even say they joined the angels in serving and waiting on Jesus. You may be wondering what kind of beasts were hanging out with Jesus in the desert. Well, there are over a hundred species of mammals and over thirty different kinds of bats alone. Who live in the Negev Desert. The biodiversity of this region far exceeds our imagination. There are Arabian leopards and wolves, golden jackals and marbled pole cats, gazelles and Persian deer, mountain goats and wild asses, shrews and turtles, frogs, snakes and salamanders. Back in Jesus' day before they went extinct, there may have even been Syrian brown bears. And Arabian ostrich. I wonder what Jesus learned from the wild beasts during those 40 days. It's not that nothing grows out in the wilderness or that there is no life in the desert. It's that it's teeming with life and possibility. But everything that grows there is wild. Everything that grows there is wild untamed, uncivilized, and undomesticated. As Jeff Goldblum's character states at the beginning of the blockbuster movie Jurassic Park, life will find a way. If there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free. It expands to new territories and crashes through barriers, painfully, maybe even dangerously, But life will find a way. If life can find a way, that means that God can find a way and that the Spirit can find a way and that we can find a way to flourish even in the harshest conditions of life. We can find a way to thrive in the desert if we choose. We can find a way to bloom in the wilderness if we want to. Yes, we can find a way to be recreated and reborn, to find new life, even in the wildest and most desolate places. Howard Thurman, that great mystic, once wrote, the most fundamental characteristic of life is its search for nourishment. The built-in characteristic of all forms of life is to seek always to keep free and easy access to the source of their vitality or aliveness in which all life finds its abiding security. Life, he says, wherever it is found is trying to live itself out, to actualize its unique potential. The conditions of this pandemic have left many of us feeling dry and parched burn out by the scorching sun and heat, run down and exhausted from the long haul that this year-long Lenten season has been. And yet, exhaustion is not necessarily a sign that the Spirit has left us. Consider the story of Job on the ash heap. We don't talk enough about Job during the season of Lent, and We did not talk about Job enough throughout the wilderness of this pandemic. I blame myself for that. I should have been preaching on Job all year long. We all know the story of how Job lost everything when his children were killed and all his livestock and land were taken, all his hired laborers were stolen, how he was then inflicted with loathsome sores over his body from head to toe. We know how he cursed his birthday and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, took a pot shard to scrape his wounds and sat among the ashes in sorrow. When his so-called friends arrived, they sat with him in silence for a few days, but then they began a grand inquisition to try and understand how an apparently righteous person could suffer so egregiously. Why do bad things happen to good people, they ask? But just like Jesus, Job had learned something important from the wild beasts, and he pierced through his friends' inquisition with an appeal to creation and a stunning acknowledgement of the Spirit. Ask the animals, Job told his friends, and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the air. And they will tell you, ask the plants of the earth, Job said, and they will teach you the fish of the sea, and they will declare to you, who among all of the wild things does not know the hand of the Lord? In God's hand, Job said, is the life of every living thing and the spirit of every human being. Later in the story after Job was beleaguered from his friend's callous theological arguments, he was still able to proclaim the Spirit. As long as breath, Spirit, is in me, he said, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, I will not speak falsely and my tongue will not utter deceit. I will not put away my integrity. I will hold fast to justice and I will not let go until I die. God's spirit was still with Job, animating him, still giving Job life, even while he was grieving on the ash heap. Even in the desert of tremendous loss, Job was able to proclaim, She's got the whole world in her hands. When we are in the valley of the shadow of death and grief is stomping on our chest, making it barely possible for us to breathe, the spirit is still with us, pulsating. Pain and loss cannot extinguish the spirit. In fact, it is often the case that the spirit becomes more precious and more present to us in the midst of pain. The spirit abides even or especially in the valley of the shadow of death, on the ash heap, in the solitary and uninhabited places and seasons of our lives. The Spirit of God works hardest with us and within us when we lumber through the valley of the shadow of death, through the wilderness of pain, through the desert of grief and loss. Pain and grief and loss are not the enemies of the Spirit. They are the door through which the Spirit enters and keeps on Pounding and beating like life, even when the body is frail or mourning. The spirit is willing even when the flesh is weak. Job did not have a lot of strength, but he still had the spirit within him. Like Jesus, he learned from the wild beast that if he could inhale and exhale, pronounce and punctuate, protest and proclaim, then that meant the spirit of God remained with him as it remains with us, even in the darkest and most deserted places. Howard Thurman talks about a song he learned as a child growing
1: up in the black church. It goes to something like this. Oh, tell me how do you feel when you came out the wilderness, came out the wilderness, came out the wilderness. Tell me how did you feel when you came out the wilderness, Leaning on the Lord.
0: Each verse progresses deeper and deeper into how the wilderness experience has shaped and changed and transformed the people who wandered through it. Eventually, the singer asks about the
1: moral transformation. Did you love everybody when you came out the wilderness? And finally, toward the end of the song, the singer's questions turn into statements. My feet look new when I came out the wilderness. My hands look new when I came out the wilderness. The world look new when I Came out the wilderness, leaning on the Lord. We've been cast out, driven
0: out by the Spirit of God into so many different wildernesses and deserts, some liturgical, some political, some biological, some were forced upon us, others of our own making. Whatever the cause and wherever it came from, we are in it now. But the same spirit who cast us out remains with us in the midst of the desert. And the question is not can this desert flourish because the deserts are already places flourishing with wildflowers and wild beasts. The radical biodiversity of plants and animals is always Already there. No creation is already flourishing. So the question is can we flourish in the desert? Can we flourish in the wilderness? Can we learn how to grow and thrive in the harsh conditions of this life? Sitting in the ash heap, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of dry bones. This Lenten season, 2021, it's not the time to worry about giving something up that we need to survive our journey. We've already given up so much. We've already sacrificed so much. Now is not the time for giving up, but maybe it is the time for giving in, giving in to the Spirit, to give in to all the life that is around us, even in the desert to look at the wildflowers and the wild beasts. Now is the time for us to give in to what we need to feel fully human, to give in to what we need to grow, to give in to what we need to thrive, to give in to what we need to flourish in this harsh climate because, as Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. And if we can figure out how to flourish with the Spirit of God, not just as individuals, but together as families and friends, neighborhoods and communities, flourish like the flowers and the animals in the desert, then maybe one day, when we come out of this long wilderness, our hands will look new, our feet will look new, and our whole world will look like the new creation. Amen.